the right ecosystem has to kind of be in place for innovation to thrive. Innovation does come with a bit of risk. It can work and be amazing and it can fail also. So if you are working in a place where there is already this culture of innovation and that mindset among your team and stakeholders, it makes it not easier. But where there is not an existing culture of innovation, it doesn't mean that you can't innovate and you can't drive change. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Innovation. It's a stuff disruption is made of. That breakthrough moment of pure genius that magically solves your most nagging business problems. Our guest in this episode works for a global technology giant that has made innovation part of their DNA. Initially selling cheese slices, believe it or not, this business would eventually go on to enable the first moon landing and is today a key player in driving the AI revolution. In our catch-up, she has shared her insights on the role of innovation in business in general and sales enablement in particular. Please welcome IBM's Head of Sales Enablement and Skills Transformation, Georgia Watson. Georgia, welcome to the show. Felix, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I am very excited about this conversation for two reasons. So number one, your situation is kind of the inverse of my experience because I'm from overseas and I'm still living the Australian adventure and you're an Aussie who's now living overseas. So we're kind of the inverse of each other. And on top of that, today we're talking about innovation, which is also a topic that I'm really passionate about. I've been in a couple of roles that had that innovation focus. So yeah, really keen to dive in with you. Wonderful. Looking forward to chatting. Georgia, just tell us what is your background and what do you do now? Yep. So Felix, my whole career has been spent in the technology industry. And as you mentioned, I started out my career in Australia and actually in marketing. I then moved to work in a number of marketing roles in the Middle East and Africa and had the opportunity to do some consulting. So really great to get on the ground and be working directly with clients. And the final marketing role that I had was leading the brand and advertising for IBM across Middle East and Africa. And I really loved that role. As part of it, it had a big focus around employee engagement and learning and skills because basically all the employees are brand ambassadors. So we had to make sure that they were all prepared to do that. And that focus on learning and engagement was really interesting to me. And Felix, you know what happened next? I kind of took this turn towards sales enablement. So started working in sales enablement, focused on Africa, and then more general enablement, covering not just sales, but a variety of roles across Middle East and Africa. And now I'm back to focus on sales enablement and skills transformation across Europe, Middle East and Africa. That's awesome. IBM is such an innovative business and also enables so much innovation in their clients' businesses through technology and Fittingly, one of the AI products, share the last name with you, Watson, and it's responsible for so many great products that have been created. From your point of view, what is the role of innovation in today's business culture and how does it relate to your role in sales enablement? Yeah, so I guess things are always changing, right? The pace of change is not going to slow down either. So we have these disruptive technologies, new business models, we through the pandemic and on top of that. And so we're kind of revolutionizing the way that we live, the way we work, the way that we buy and sell and the skills that we need. There are so many factors. So I think for businesses to keep up, 
and for enablers to keep up. We need to continually evolve and adapt and we need to think differently and we need to innovate. Now, innovation is actually good for the bottom line. So it's no coincidence that so many companies are really focused on innovation. And according to McKinsey, companies that invest in innovation deliver superior growth and performance. It's kind of a matter of survival too. So if your competitors are innovating, of course, you don't want to be left limpy behind. And we all know what happens when you fail to innovate and evolve all together. You know, Blockbuster, Kodak, Polaroid, we could name a hundred companies, I think, between us that are no longer around that we knew at one point. So businesses need to continue to adapt and evolve. And you mentioned IBM and IBM is really synonymous with innovation. And one thing that I discovered that I love is one of the early products that IBM made was cheese slices. So 110 years ago, this was, you know, maybe the cutting edge tech of the time, but from cheese slices to cloud and quantum computing and AI, as you mentioned, IBM has continually reinvented itself as a company, continually invested in R&D, and that's kind of paved the way for these new products and continued market leadership. Coming back to enablers, I think we have multiple opportunities to influence this, and there's just three that I wanted to call out. So the first one is that we know that innovation is a priority for most of the organizations that we are working in. Now, if you're working in B2B like me, it's probably a priority for your customers also. So as enablers, we need to ensure that our sellers are prepared to support their prospects and clients to innovate as well. The second thing is, I think this a role of enablement in building culture. And more and more these days, we're seeing kind of double-barreled enablement roles. You know, it might be head of sales enablement and culture or head of learning and culture. They're being sort of put together because they are so closely linked. And I feel that in enablement, L&D and sales enablement, we have a responsibility and can also impact that culture as well. The third thing I would say is, again, enablers, we need to be innovating in the way that we are supporting our sellers or whoever your audience is. So they're my three tips, Felix. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's really interesting what you said about really having an impact in terms of the way culturally your sales team might be operating because you've instilled that sort of culture of innovation in helping your clients to innovate, I think it would be really hard, even if you sold an innovative product, if your sales team doesn't really project that innovation mindset to the market, it would be really hard for organizations like ABM to actually support their clients as well as you seem to do. Yes, hold on. Yeah. And how do you see sales organizations innovate in the way they respond to changing buyer behaviors? Because obviously recently with the pandemic, We've seen a lot of remote sales happening. Now it's kind of moving into the, the hybrid sales space. How do you see sales organizations innovate in dealing with this new environment? Yeah, there has been so much change, hasn't there? First, I'll talk about the changes and then I'll share a few thoughts on the responses. So I actually read in your report, The State of Sales Enablement, that McKinsey reported that in B2B interactions, this digital interaction became twice as important to customers than traditional sales interactions during the pandemic. And customers have this really strong preference for digitally enabled sales interactions. So there are so many changes going on in the way that people are buying, and this big shift to digital is one of them. 
If we think about salespeople also, they now have a much smaller window in which to influence the purchase and also to deliver value. And Gartner actually put this at only 17% of the sales cycle where people were engaging with representatives from different markets. So this is a huge change to buyer behavior and a really smaller window for our sellers to maximize the value. So again, kind of comes back to this point about innovation as well, right? So we know that in B2B, most of our clients want to innovate. So in that little window, yes, our sellers need to meet the need of that client, but if they can help them to innovate as well, that's like a huge plus for them. And there are many ways that they can add that extra value, you know, one of which is, yes, helping their clients innovating. You know, I love design thinking, so there's some great approaches applying design thinking methodologies that can be used to do that. The other big shift is this fact that experience is counting for more than ever. So B2B buyers have higher expectations than consumers now when it comes to their buying experience. And Felix, I was reading in your State of Sales Enablement report that Salesforce did some research and they looked at this comparison between B2C and B2B buyer expectations. And 85% of the business buyers felt that the experience provided was as important or more important than the products. And this was 79% of consumers. So this indicates a whole shift toward this preference of experience over product. And of course, the entire experience goes beyond just what our sellers are doing during that 17% of time. So organizations need to look at this broader experience. And I think this is nothing new. Organizations are aware of that. But we do see restructuring of sales functions and even restructuring of businesses and the way roles are working and how they work together to try and address this. So there is this more positive overall experience. I totally agree. The other thing I think is more than ever, the goal needs to be to serve. We have to have a totally customer-focused approach. And this has always been the case, Felix. It's not really anything new, but nobody likes being sold to. I can easily recall many times that I love buying, but when you get on, you know, you're communicating with someone and they're doing the hard sell, you just, you want to get off straight away. I had an experience. I wanted to buy something. It was a service and I'd done my research and I knew, right, this is the person who I want to work with. I set up a short call with them and it was with one of their team. And during that call, this person just kept coming back to the sales pitch. And three times they said, I understand that. I just want to know how you're packaging your offer. I wanted to know the pricing and the details. I didn't want to know the awards this person had won or the results they got with other clients. I'd seen all of that. I just wanted to know, you know, get straight to it. But because they kept going back to the sales pitch, it was so off-putting. I didn't end up buying their service anymore. So we had to have this kind of shift from this selling mentality to serving. We've heard of servant leadership, and I think it has to be kind of servant selling now as well. No, absolutely. I think the interesting thing, what's happening now in terms of innovation and the adoption to the new buyer journey is also that it's not some sort of technological breakthrough or some amazing invention that is happening. The innovation is more happening around the process adoption and the mindset in selling. So I think that's what makes the time that we live in so exciting because the innovation that is happening is so accessible suddenly, and it's not about owning a technology or owning a certain 
invention to realize that. It's more about the mindset, more about the flexibility and mentality and actually making those customer-centric processes happening. Yeah, totally agree. I think we often think of innovation as this single event, you know, a flash of genius or some revolutionary new product or service. But the truth is, as you said, it includes all those different factors. It's a road. It's kind of a long part to get there as well. It's not a a one flash, here's the new product, done, move on. And you mentioned design thinking earlier. So for those listeners who are not familiar with the concept, what is design thinking all about and how can it be used in sales enablement? So design thinking is, it's a methodology or a framework for solving problems, basically. What I really love about it is that it has the user as central. So because of this focus on the user, you can define up problems that you then want to try and and solve. And with ideally the user's input, you can then create options for how to really address this. There are many different ways that it can be applied. Let me share a couple. So when the pandemic started, it was a really hectic time. I think anybody working in enablement or learning knows we were working at a rate of knots quickly trying to evolve all of our learning plans to fit the new context. And my team and I were just buried with work. We were drowning in spreadsheets. We had some really demanding stakeholders that we were trying to manage during this shift. And I remember my, my manager said to me, you need to innovate. And I thought, is she mad? I'm drowning. How can I have the mind space to innovate or do something differently? And I thought about it and I thought, well, why not? You know, we have to make the time for the things that really matter. And I set up a one-hour design thinking session with my team. We got together virtually and we ran this session on Mural and we came up with a number of ideas, one that became an award-winning sales enablement program. So just prioritizing it and then getting people together and getting people thinking differently is a great way to do it. Another one that I love is getting sellers to actually do design thinking with their clients. I love it because it then becomes like a real partnership of the salesperson and the client team working together to solve the client's problem and really fully understand what the problem is and all the nuances in it and where everything fits and where everybody fits. And then, of course, you can shape a solution that really meets the client's need and you're doing it in a partnership. comes back to this idea is you're then really serving rather than selling. You're helping them really address their problem. That's awesome. Do you see the design thinking approach really being adopted fast or is there a steep learning curve in order to enable people to actually utilize design thinking? I think people understand it. I don't see it being adopted as quickly as I would like. I see it as such a great opportunity, but everything takes time. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of learning, how do you see organizations innovate to adapt to the requirements of modern adult learning? Because Previously, we might have had a situation where everybody gets together in a classroom and you kind of have that face-to-face engagement where the instructor might be able to tailor their approach to the different students. But now you've got a remote learning environment or a hybrid learning environment. How has that been handled to actually adopt to that new environment from a learning perspective? Yeah. So everything has shifted to digital, of course, and trying to create experiences and engagement that add the same value as the classroom in some contexts where there was classroom training. I think also there's a big shift between traditional training and learning now to providing people with the tools and resources that they need on demand so they can access them when they really need it. The kind of 
craziest thing about all this is that employees now have this new kind of consumer-grade expectations about what their learning experiences should be. It needs to be empowering and self-directed and of the highest quality because now more than ever, these last couple of years, people have been accessing all different kinds of education. And so corporate education, corporate learning, enablement can't fall behind. We have to bring that same standard. So we have to keep doing things differently as well and getting comfortable with that so that we can meet those higher expectations and add value. So we need to consider the context of those that we're enabling. We need to consider, I think, this bigger picture of what our salespeople or our learners are up against. And we need to consider it also from a human and individual standpoint. So if we think about the pandemic, this has had a massive impact on tech and how we work, but also on a really human personal level. If we take screen time, for example, we saw a massive hike in screen time with people adding an average of five hours a day to screen time. And there was some survey done of sellers by the State of Mental Health and Sales Report, and they surveyed over 800 sellers. And 68% of those sellers at the time of the survey reported they were struggling with their mental health. So this has huge implications for employee well-being, motivation, engagement, performance, and results. So we can't ignore that when we're creating our learning. We're also more distracted than ever before. For those of us who are still working from home, like I am, you know, there's kids and there's dogs and those kind of home distractions and have this constant intrusion now of technology. We have this barrage of pings and emails and blurs and I was reading uh, some research that said that Americans are actually checking their phone 262 times per day, which is huge. Like, imagine that constant distraction. And this is our world, right? We're living in this world where there's constant distraction. And so why does it matter? Because learning and memory are so linked. So being distracted when we hear new information means that we store that information in the wrong part of the brain. So it goes to the stratum rather than the hippocampus. And it's the hippocampus that actually helps us to process this new information and make sense of it. So then it's easier to retrieve later. And having engagement and attention is kind of like a basic for learning. So I think we even need to get back to the, the basics. How our audience engaged? We have to capture their attention first. And for me, I see this huge push towards edutainment. So something that's educating, but it's also entertaining for them, particularly when you have teams that are potentially under a lot of pressure, really stressed, you know, can't hit them with really heavy learning. It has to be engaging and fun for them. And this is why I love this, what I call accordion content. So if you think about an accordion, it can be short and condensed and also expanded out. So. What I love to think of is you have like a really fun, light-seeming top layer. So this is like the edutainment piece. So it's really easy for sellers to get into and engage with. And then underneath, you have the depth and the further information that they need to build out their skills and their knowledge. But that first bit is really kind of like the book, I guess. So we need to start looking at our audiences holistically. We have to identify where learning and enablement can add real value for those learners in their context. And we need to create programs that account for this. And they may not be the same programs that we've always done either. No, I love that. 
I sometimes wonder if there might be at some point a shift from digital to more analog ways of learning. If you think about, as you said, all the digital messages you're being bombarded with, at what point does it make sense to take a step back and actually gain an advantage, especially in a learning environment by providing more analog experiences? I'm thinking maybe send physical documents to actually ensure that people disconnect while they learn to make sure that you hit that hippocampus with the information rather than it being lost in all the digital messaging that's going on at the same time. Yeah. I think where we do have that more analog approach, it can be hugely impactful. Someone sent me a thank you card in the mail the other day. I was blown away because one, I never get mail. Somebody had bought a card and written in it by hand. We get emails all the time and messages saying similar things. But the fact that it was so analog and in a card and so old school, it really had a bigger impact. That's right. Well, the telegram, that's the ultimate competitive advantage now. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Let's innovate. Let's innovate. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of new sales enablement roles popping up and there's a lot of people entering the, the noble profession that is sales enablement and want to make a career out of it. What would be your advice to young sales enablers who want to drive innovation in their organizations and especially in organizations that might not necessarily have an innovative culture? What should they do? Yeah, this is a really good question, Felix. I think the right ecosystem has to kind of be in place for innovation to thrive. Innovation does come with a bit of risk. It can work and be amazing and it can fail also. So if you are working in a place where there is already this culture of innovation and that mindset among your team and stakeholders, it makes it not easier. But where there is not an existing culture of innovation, it doesn't mean that you can't innovate and you can't drive change. So I'd say that because culture is created by people. Whatever the existing culture is, this can change as people change. So you can culture hack and co-create the culture yourself. So this may be in your immediate sales enablement team to get people to be opening up to new ideas or across your whole organization, the scale is kind of really up to you. But I strongly believe that we can all be change agents and really make that difference. The other thing I'll say is make sure you find your allies across the business who can support what you want to do. So you need to find people who you can collaborate, who have a similar mindset and are open to trying new things or taking different approaches so you can create maybe your own mini innovation system your little network across the different areas of the business that you work with. We also have to make sure that our stakeholders are kind of prepared. So if you are doing something very new and different, I would always recommend piloting it. And there's nothing like a successful pilot to get everybody on board to help you scale and do something differently. But make sure your stakeholders are aware that we're testing something new. It may work, it may not. Here's our intention and here's its potential and try it. If it fails, great, you know how you can evolve it. And if it's successful, then you have something that you can use to go back to your stakeholders or your business and kind of sell. Having this one success in a bag can really help you get everybody on board and support you. And the other thing I would say is to kind of prioritize innovation. So back to the story I shared before at the start of the pandemic, you have to make time for it and you have to make time for it. 
So it could be blocking a small amount of time out in your diary that you're going to dedicate to coming up with different approaches to something you're struggling with. Or it could be with your team, getting them together and brainstorming solutions to a collective problem that you have or your sellers have. But making it a priority and getting time in and and making it happen. The other thing you can do, of course, is if you have goals for the quarter or for the year or performance reviews, you can put in your own goals, you can put it in your team's goals. But most importantly, make sure you're, you're then setting time aside to help make that happen. That's awesome advice. I've taken lots of notes to make 2022 the most innovative year. So thank you very much. Georgia, we're running out of time, but if people want to connect with you and continue the conversation around sales enablement, around innovation, where can they find you? People can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Always very happy to connect and hear from you people. So just search for me, Georgia Watson, on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, Georgia. It was great speaking to you. Felix, thanks for having me.